Hello, welcome to the Squared Circle Psycho Babble, the subjectively objective podcast for fans of the sports entertainment known as pro wrestling. My name is Michael Valenti. Joining me is Ralph Valenti. A lot of news to cover from this past week in pro wrestling, so let's get down to it. Hours before we were about to hit record, we got news from PW Insider, Ralph, that Sasha Banks may be going to a new destination. It's not AEW. It's not going back to WWE. But in fact, New Japan Pro Wrestling, according to PW Insider, she will be at Wrestle Kingdom 17. We already know Kenny Omega is going to be on that card and possibly Carl Anderson might be on that card to defend the Never Openweight Championship. We'll know more on that probably next week when he defends the title. But if Sasha Banks does go to New Japan Pro Wrestling, does this mean she will be full-time with stardom? Does this mean that she will end up in AEW? Does this mean she goes back to WWE? And in fact, there is a working relationship between WWE and New Japan Pro Wrestling. Or is this just more of a one-off to get some New Japan World buys and subscriptions so that people could see Wrestle Kingdom? And then she goes to Hollywood. What's going on with Sasha Banks here? What do you think with this news? Yeah, I definitely think that it's going to be good for her in terms of like her legacy because, you know, she's going outside of the WWE to really try to prove how good she really is. Wrestle Kingdom, that would be a big thing for her to go and do. The big thing is going to be trying to figure out if she's even still under contract with WWE. What is her contract situation? Because that's been speculated about by a, a number of people, mm -hmm. you know, assuming she is still under contract with WWE. This could kind of prove that Triple H is trying to do different things in terms of trying to be competitive with, you know, the likes of AEW, where, you know, some of the wrestlers are able to go and work separate dates outside of just, you know, working strictly under the w uh, AEW banner. You already mentioned Carl Anderson potentially going and competing in that. I think Kevin Owens was recently quoted as saying, you know, I'm more confident now that I can go and work some indie shows or some smaller shows outside of the WWE. And, you know, for what it's worth, I mean, you look at the track record of Triple H and his ability to do certain things when he was in NXT, whether it was like, you know, certain tournaments where he was bringing in different talent from other promotions. I do think he is more willing to do things like this more so than Vince McMahon ever was. I think that this could speak a lot in terms of Triple H and his role and the way that he's going to run the main roster if Sasha is truly under contract. I think you're going to have those that are going to speculate that she may be AW bound mostly because one, this is a booking outside of the WWE. And I wouldn't say it was a direct tease, but we do know that Soraya is going to be having a tag match. And, you know, there is the possibility. Well, we know she's going to have to pick somebody that not saying that's going to be Sasha Banks, mm -hmm. but of course there's going to be speculation surrounding that. So good for Sasha. I think this is going to be a great moment for her really helps solidify her already great resume and uh, help build her legacy. So very interesting. Yeah, it definitely is very interesting. You bring up the Soraya tease of the LA show for AEW Dynamite in a few weeks. That's, I believe, January 11th is the date of that show. So does Sasha Banks become that mystery partner for Soraya? Is it Naomi? We just recently saw this week that Naomi was with Jade Cargill at an Atlanta Hawks yep. game. So was Jade Cargill trying to recruit Naomi to AEW? Was Naomi trying to recruit Jade Cargill to WWE when her contract's up? Were they just two wrestlers just happened to be together at a Atlanta Hawks game, just being friends, and there wasn't any communication about one jumping ship to the other? All possibilities there. And that is the other thing to consider here. If Sasha Banks goes, does Naomi go with her? She obviously has tie-ins to the Usos being married to Jimmy Uso. Time will tell in this whole situation. It's going to be interesting to see at what capacity Sasha Banks ends up at Wrestle Kingdom 2 because does she end up in a match? Is she challenging Kyrie for the Women's Championship? Is she going to be just showing up on the screen and challenging whoever the champion is at the end of Wrestle Kingdom. That's another possibility. Is she just going to be there to watch Wrestle Kingdom as a fan in the audience? You know, she does have an appreciation for Japanese wrestling, Japanese women's wrestling. So is she going as a spectator and someone just happened to find her receipt somewhere? All that could be possible. I'd like to know what the babble section thinks about this in the comment section. So let us know where you think Sasha Banks is going. Speaking of Naomi and her ties to the bloodline and Jimmy Uso, 
lot of debate going on in the world of professional wrestling this week with the IWC because PWI released their top 100 tag teams of the past year and it went to the Usos. So again, for those, there's a lot of debate on this. Should it have been the Usos? Should it have been FTR? A couple things to point out here. First off, the evaluation period was between October 1st, 2021 and September 30th, 2022. So it's not the entire 2022 year. It's a little bit of the end of the 2021 year. Also, the criteria for it includes in-ring achievement, influence of the sport, technical ability, quality of competition, and activity. And I think you can make a strong argument for, for either the Usos or FTR. So Ralph, I have a feeling you're going to pick the Usos, correct? In terms of who I think should have won, yeah, I would say the Usos. That doesn't mean I think they're the better tag team. Right. But the criteria is very specific for this. Right. And we took it to the Babel section and put that to a vote to say who should have topped the list. And 66% said FTR over the Usos. So, Go figure. I, I, you know, I'm going to go with the IWC on this. And I'm going to do something the IWC hasn't really done per se. And that is actually make the case for FTR topping the list over the Usos. Because typically what it's been is FTR is the best tag team. They should be the top of the list. Or they go to, well, they had their matches with the Briscoes. They won their three championships. They should win over the Usos. And that is really the argument. And it's a very vague argument. But Ralph, I'm going to try to make this argument a little bit stronger for the IWC. I'm going to do a solid for them. First and foremost, I think we do have to put into consideration the fact that they did win three championships and held on to them for a primarily most of that evaluation period, obviously holding the AAA Tag Team Championships for that entire year. You also have them winning the Ring of Honor Championships back in April and the IWGP Tag Team Championships at Forbidden Door. So they won all of them and held them for a significant portion of that time in the evaluation period. Obviously, influence on the sport. I think most would agree they are at least one of, if not the best tag team in professional wrestling today. And everyone wants dream matches with them. You name a tag team, they want to have a match with FTR and FTR wants to work a, a tag team match with them. Whether it's the Motor City Machine Guns or Aussie Open or even the Usos, whoever the case may be, they all want to work with FTR at this point. How do you define influence of the sport and how do you not consider the Usos and their storyline with the bloodline and everything else as influencing pro wrestling and having probably the best storyline we've seen at least in WWE and maybe throughout the whole year. Did you take that into consideration? And I'm just asking because again, I don't, I don't know if there's a right or wrong for this. I could go probably either way. I, I think when PWI made the decision that definitely went into their favor for influence on the sport or promotion, because they are the top tag team in the number one promotion in the world. As much as people want to disagree with that statement, numbers speak for themselves WWE is the number one wrestling promotion in the world. I agree, you know, the Usos definitely have influence on the sport, but to their discredit per se, is that influence only because of Roman Reigns and their tie to Roman Reigns? If you take Roman Reigns out of the equation, do they have that same influence? And a lot of people can make the, de the debate, no. I'm just asking because I would assume for those who are going to make a case for the Usos, and I think you can make a case for them or FTR, mm -hmm. I would imagine they're going to probably bring up the fact that they are in the bloodline. And I, I, I think that's a totally valid argument or leg to stand on that would validate them being, you know, at least considered in that top, top spot. Mm -hmm. So how do you hold the fact that FTR, a lot of people consider them the best tag team in pro wrestling versus the Usos being the top tag team in the top promotion with the top storylines. How do you weigh that into each other for that specific criteria of sports and influence and all that nature? Now you have quality of opponent. I actually had to do a deep dive on this because obviously when you look at the top 20 or whatever, you have the Usos in the top 20 only beat two of those teams that were in the top 20. One was RK bro. And the others were the street profits. When you look at FTR, they beat the Briscoes twice and they were number three. They beat the Young Bucks. They beat Hermanos Lee for the AAA Tag Team Championships. 
So that's three right there. They beat the United Kingdom. So that's four. So, and I'm sure I'm missing some right there. So at least four in the evaluation period, that's already double what the Usos did in that evaluation period against top 20 teams. And the other thing too, they were similar as far as tag team, traditional tag team matches. The Usos had 28 matches versus FTR's 25. FTR lost five matches this year. All five of those were in AEW. Outside of AEW, they were undefeated. The Usos lost nine times this year. You wouldn't think that because they never lost the SmackDown Tag Team Championships, but they lost a lot of contenders matches, a lot of non-title matches, and they also lost to some tag teams that weren't necessarily called tag teams per se. Their most recent loss, which happened back in August, I believe, was against the team of Drew McIntyre and Madcap Moss. Does that kind of go against the Usos' resume that, yeah, they've done all this stuff and they beat all these tag teams, but they also lost to teams that weren't necessarily tag teams? I think the biggest thing to point out is just the dynamic in comparing the promotion for which FTR works for and what they're allowed to do, pretty much compete outside of AEW. Mm-hmm. And the fact that WWE is absolutely, without a doubt, hands down, story-driven first. Like, it has to have a story. With AEW, like, yes, of course, FTR is going to have more prominent wins over all of those tag teams that you listed. Are those better tag teams? They're probably better by comparison if you were going to say compile a list of the top tag teams that, you know, the IWC would consider uh, top tier tag teams and, and because of the, the dynamic where FTR is allowed to compete outside of AEW of course they're going to face those tag teams uh, the Usos you're going to get a lot of those matches they are probably going to lose more because a lot of those losses probably helped progress storylines and everything else so I don't know if that means one is better than the other I think for this specific uh, criteria that you're talking about would help them but I think if anything <laughs> when, when thinking about this list because I'm sure we're going to get to this at some point if you were to ask anybody why they felt like FTR wasn't the top tag team in the world this past year, what is everybody going to point to? And I think the elephant in the room is the fact that I don't think this was Tony Khan's best year booking. Mm-hmm. I think he put them on the back burner. I think they're a shoe in. They should win this mostly every year. Yes. Usos would probably be in the top five, if not number two, if FTR had been utilized better on AEW's flagship show on Dynamite. Unfortunately, they were put on the back burner for much of it. Yeah, I agree. You know, the booking of FTR and AEW has not been good. As I mentioned, their five losses were all in AEW. Two of those, I will say, were battle royals. So could we really count them as losses against them? So if you take those out, it's still now it's only three losses the entire year and all them being in AEW. I think two of them were AEW tag team title matches as well. In those losses, I think shenanigans got in the way of them actually winning those matches. So a lot of protective booking for FTR, even in losses. But I will agree with you. There was that huge chunk of time where they were the number one ranked tag team and didn't even get an AEW tag team championship match. And for anybody that wants to try to defend the rankings and the ranking system in AEW, FTR is the reason AEW stopped using rankings. Okay, so there's influence on the sport right there or influence on the promotion. They forced them to stop using a ranking system, which kept them separate from any other promotion in professional wrestling because Tony Khan just could not find a reason not to put FTR out of number one and not give them a title shot after five months of being at that spot. The fact that we're having this conversation that they're number two was in spite of Tony Khan's bad booking. Absolutely. Had they gotten the AEW tag team titles, we're not having this discussion. They are the number one tag team. But because of the inconsistent booking from Tony Khan, and I think that has a huge influence in most people's eyes, especially in the American market, and those at PWI, that went against them. Some will try to say, you know what? Forget that. We understand. But FTR still won three championships. They still had match of the year contenders. People still consider them the best tag team, regardless of how Tony Khan booked them. And if you do the deep dive like I did as far as wins and losses, they had a better record this year than the Usos, regardless of the fact that they had the SmackDown tag team titles the entire evaluation period. So if you want to say FTR should have topped that list, go with my argument. Don't just go by 
FTR had those great matches with the Briscoes. FTR won those three titles. Break it down a little deeper, guys. Do your homework for the sake for the sake of the debate. But if you just go by the Briscoes matches and the Aussie Open match, which by the way, that Aussie Open match wasn't even part of the evaluation period. It missed it by one damn day. Then start making the conversation about FTR. I think if you say the Usos, you're not wrong. If you say FTR, you're also not wrong. So Babble section, let us know what you guys think. Who is the best tag team from this past year during the evaluation period? I know we already had the vote, but for those new to the channel, let us know. Now, speaking of Tony Khan, we finally got some confirmation of things going on backstage. And no, it was not the elite and CM Punk situation. It was the William Regal situation. So we had this back and forth, inconsistent news reporting. He's staying in AEW. He's going to WWE. He's staying in AEW. He's going to WWE. Well, it's been confirmed by Tony Khan. He is leaving AEW. William Regal's contract will expire at the end of the year. He will go to WWE on the contingency that he will only be a coach for the next year and not be on screen. So I guess you call that somewhat of a non-compete clause? Maybe, maybe not. I mean, I haven't really seen the backlash of a non-compete clause in this situation, but I think that's set for another debate. But what do you think of this confirmation from Tony Khan? I, I appreciate the transparency. I appreciate him allowing Regal to go back, seeing that he wants to be with his son for the golden years of his career. And... Allowing this situation to happen, I think, is the best of both worlds where it's like, go back, be a coach, don't go on screen because it's going to make us look bad for the next year. But after that, do what you got to do. So I think that's a win-win for everybody in this situation. Yeah, I, I mean, I definitely respect the transparency because that's what people are critical of uh, in terms of his lack of transparency or even still to this day regarding the whole CM Punk backstage fight thing. What mm -hmm. did happen? What didn't happen? People, certain situations. I'll tell you what I don't like about this, uh, because this is a tricky situation. The fact that one, obviously, William Regal was a, a very main focal point of what we saw on TV. They wrote him off in the way they wrote him off. Well, first of all, if they're going to try to actually follow this through, knowing that he intended to leave, this is somehow going to lead to... Dan uh, Brian Danielson being involved in the storyline either against MJF building tension between uh, Brian Danielson and and Moxley because they certainly set that table and teased it. What I don't like about it is the fact that Tony Khan, while being transparent in all of this, is essentially saying, and we already know this, but it kind of devalues the reason you watch the show. This happened on TV. It's a medical thing. He's out. You're going to write him off TV, but here's what really happened. Essentially saying, here's the truth, but what you're seeing on TV doesn't matter. New Japan Pro Wrestling, they have the guys go out there after matches. They have them do the sit-down interviews, and they at least try to blur the lines and try to spin it as, look, I'm the best. This is a real sport. I'm a real competitor. There's nobody that can touch me. When Tony Khan goes out there and essentially says... You know, hey, like what you guys saw on TV. Yeah, we wrote him off TV. He had a brain bleed. MJF, despicable guy, punched him in the back of the head. You're building a storyline off something that now in the background, you're saying it's not real. It's fake. That was a part of a storyline. This is what really is happening. He's walking away. He's going back to WWE. I feel like they could have done a better job to kind of clear up their tracks or cover their tracks, whatever you want to say, and blur those lines a little bit better. I will disagree somewhat here. And this is only because I work in the TV industry and follow the industry a little bit closer than most people will. But two situations come to mind here and they're very similar to what they did with Regal writing them off. But then there's backstage stuff that got leaked out. One was the Charlie Sheen situation with two and a half men and they wrote him off and replace him with Ashton Kutcher. But we all know what happened behind the scenes. And that was well publicly known. The backstage well, shit that happened with him and Chuck Lorre and the people uh, at Two and a Half Men. So it's like they wrote him off, but people knew what the hell was going on. And the other one, not as well known, but obviously those that follow the show know what happened. And that's Thomas Gibson with Criminal Minds. He was a huge part of Criminal Minds playing Aaron Hotchner. And he had a... Uh, a fight with one of the writers, I believe, 
They had to write him off, but people that follow the show know exactly what happened. Sure. So sure. this is basically that same situation. Obviously, not not like he had issues with Tony Khan, and that's the reason he's leaving, but he left the show and they needed to find an on-screen reason, but also the the behind the scenes reason was leaked out and you had to take care of that. So it's not like you can blur the lines. And this is where, unfortunately, it is a television show. Wrestling is a television show. So you're not going to always blur out the, bring in the, the real stuff with the kayfabe stuff and try to blur the two. So I actually don't mind it per se. I'm because when I watch it, when I watch wrestling, I try to watch it from a, as a television viewer, I don't watch it as a Mark that reads the dirt sheets and try to, Oh, this is what's happening backstage. And that's why they're doing, I try not to do that. It ruins my, my enjoyment of the product. When I do that, regardless of it's WWE or AEW, I try to just watch it as a television viewer, just watching it. And what's going on is just what's going on on the television show. Anything happens behind the scenes is what happens behind the scenes. And that's not everybody. I understand that. I totally get what you're saying. The only thing, the only pushback I would offer to that is one is a TV show. They're both TV shows, but one is a TV show that is obviously fantasy. It's a story. And that, that like two and a half men, everybody watches that. They know that it's a sitcom or comedy or whatever you want to call it. Wrestling is one of those shows where it blurs the lines. Everybody knows that it's predetermined. It's staged. But at the same time, they're trying to convince the fan, at least, that it is uh, the perception is they're trying to convince them that this is real to a certain extent. True. Uh, but that's having why, that legit, re quote unquote, legit reason that we got on Dynamite this past week of why Regal did what he did with the Blackpool Combat Club. He understood that his time there was not needed anymore. They could do things on their own. They needed to see that, you know, that's fine. And that's all you need. You know, you don't need to know, oh, I'm leaving for WWE. You don't need to really bring the dirt sheets into every single storyline or every single reason why something's happening. I think if you do that, you kind of alienate an audience in a way kind of makes it seem too scripted. And then you are like, all right, everything that we're hearing in the news and the dirt sheets is just to try to, you know, further a storyline on television. And we're all getting worked. Like every bit of news is a work at this point. If if Tony, so this, this announcement I think Tony Khan made was prior to dynamite. If he just came out and said, cause I think you were actually on the other side of this the last time. Didn't you say Tony Khan doesn't offer an explanation with the whole bucks, uh, young bucks. Right, he doesn't Punk have thing? to, and he didn't have to give an explanation to Tony Khan uh, yeah, to, to right. regal either, but he did. And that was his reasoning right. behind it. And he, you know, gave the situation and you know, he could have done what I think is you're going to say is he just say, all right, Regal's going to explain there's going to be an explanation and then that's it. And just let exactly. that happen. Exactly. But he didn't do Tune that. Tune in. Tune in on Wednesday. You'll get the answer. People are, oh, what happened with Regal? What's the, what's true? What's not? I'll tune in. We'll talk about it. You'll know. Right. And, th and that way, that I could agree with. If he did that, you'll get more people watching and possibly a better rating, regardless of Spectrum having issues or whatever. They had only 800 and I think 40,000 total viewers this past week. And that's not even the worst bit of news that we got ratings wise this week. And that leads us to our next story here, Ralph, as we see that the last week's episode of rampage and also the third hour of raw both reached record low viewerships for rampage. They posted their lowest rating in the covenant 18 to 49 demographic as well, and had a total viewership of only 361,000 viewers. Raw, on the other hand, they posted their lowest hour ever in total viewership with 1.2 million in the third hour this past Monday. So, Ralph, let's talk about this. They're both 10 o'clock hour slots. They both had record lows. So you could easily go, oh, it's the 10 o'clock hour. But we've seen them do well in these 10 o'clock hours before. So I don't think it's just, let's just call it the, the time slot. What does Triple H and Tony Khan have to do to improve the ratings of this third hour for raw and the whole show for rampage to get people watching at this time. Because yeah. right now I think what's happening is either they have it in the notion that, all right, I could go to sleep. I could watch this on DVR the next day, or I could just watch YouTube clips or they're just skipping it entirely because they feel they're not missing anything. And I think it's a combination of those two right now. 
Yeah, and I think, correct me if I'm wrong, you're the TV guy, but typically around this time of year, there is much more competition, yes. so numbers naturally go down yes. anyway. There's NBA, there's whatever playoff, there's football in, in you know, October, November, there's playoff baseball, whatever, right? Right, so, and also the fact that the fall is where everyone puts their A game on for their best shows go on during the fall season. So you have that competition yep. just with regular programming as well. Here's what I would suggest. Um, with Rampage, Rampage has been an afterthought for some time now. For for To Tony Khan's credit, obviously we're getting Moxley, so it, it's pretty evident that he's he's noticing this as well. It's pretty much been, you know, he's trying to build it off of, I, I wouldn't say subpar talent, just you don't get the top guys typically on Rampage. Right. You're not going to get like a Jericho. You're not going to get a Moxley traditionally or in, in a long time. You're not going to get like an FTR for a little bit. We were getting Wardlow here and there that that show needs to be made f to feel special again, because it's very obvious that Dynamite is the A show. And for whatever you want to call it, it's like the B show. I think they're doing something right by having Moxley back on that. If they truly intend to write that ship, they got to give the fans a reason to watch. And that means putting your better talent or the guys that draw the better numbers on that show. Right. For Raw, for me, at least it is. A couple of things. One, I don't think they need to panic because, you know, right around the corner is when typically WWE starts to get hot again because the Royal Rumble is right around the corner. That True. means better storylines, better talent. You're probably going to have some returning talent. So I think for them, it's just kind of business as usual. This is usually a downtime a year for the WWE, especially on Raw. Mm -hmm. With all the rumors going around, I'm sure we're going to get more guys like maybe a potential Stone Cold Steve Austin, maybe The Rock maybe Cody Rhodes. So they have people that are right there ready to potentially be on that show to help keep people interested. Now, I think the other thing that they kind of suffer from is I know they intended for Seth Rollins carrying that US title to be like the number one title on Raw. The only problem is it went from Bobby Lashley to Seth to Theory in a very short period of time. Mm -hmm. If you want to help establish that title... I think somebody's got to have a longer title reign, especially when you're going to try to convince people that, hey, this is equivalent. This title is equivalent to the Universal Championship or the Undisputed Championship because Romans held those titles for over a thousand days. If you have a dominant champion, you're going to try to convince the, the viewer, hey, watch Raw. This is the number one title. Yeah, it's the number one title on that show. Maybe if you can convince people that way, but they're always going to compare it to Roman. They're always going to compare it to his title reign. So, you know, not having a champion, while I don't think Roman needs to be on Raw every week, I think he should make more appearances. Agreed. I think that having the Usos and having Sami Zayn on a weekly basis or almost weekly basis to keep things interesting is important. But honestly, I don't think they're panicking. They know they got WrestleMania. They got Royal Rumble right around the corner. It's going to be better. Right. And, and around this time every year, we have these conversations, record low viewership, this and that. It happens every single year in December. Remember back a few years ago, we had the McMahons out there and they're saying, oh, we're going to make changes and you're the authority. That was in December, right after yep. they had record low viewership. You know, it's December. This is what happens. But I also think they do need to make some kind of change because hour one and hour two do pretty well. And then there's this massive drop off in hour three. Sure. You can equate that to, Oh, it's a competitive game on Monday night football. And people want to see the end of the game. Sure. You could equate it to, you know, it's the East coast and 10 o'clock it's late. People are going to start going to sleep. And you know, most of the viewership is the 50 plus that are, that just can't stay up anymore. And they still do well in the key demographics against rest of cable where Rampage can't really say that anymore because they were once a top five show. Now they're not even making the top 50. But I think some of the same things can happen on Raw that you want to have on Rampage because a lot of the third hour, you have a lot of recap. You have a lot of commercials. You have a lot of kind of not necessarily throwaway matches up until the main event, because you do see a little bit of an uptake in that last 15 minutes, whoever the main event is. So people have an interest of what's going on in that last segment. Let's all face it. The third hour, it's too long. Raw is too long and we want it to go two hours. Even Triple H to his own admission has said he wants Raw to go back two hours. But much like some people say, oh, let's move Rampage out of that Friday slot. It's not their decision. 
It is the network's decision. So until USA Network goes, you know what? We're done. We're making it two hours. It's not going to go two hours. Or if Rampage is like, you know what? We're done with you. We're going to move you to Tuesdays or Thursdays or whatever the case may be. It's not going to happen until the network says so. Or Tony Khan finds a new person, a new network to move Rampage to a different day slot. It's not, it's out of their control. And it's not as easy as, oh, let's give them more airtime. No, that's out of the table too. That again is not Tony Khan's decision. That's a network decision. So until Tony Khan gets that from the networks, you have to do something with Rampage now. Do you completely disregard Rampage and make it Ring of Honor that time slot? Maybe that's the way to go. Rebrand it. Give it a fresh new look, fresh new start. It's Ring of Honor show now. And maybe that's what we're going to hear uh, this weekend at the, the final battle and Tony Khan's announcement or news regarding the TV is that Ring of Honor is going to be weekly on that slot instead of Rampage. But, you know, one thing they could do with Rampage is maybe put Miro on AEW Rampage. There's been talks about Miro coming back to AEW programming sometime soon, but we have some conflicting reports on this as well. Fightful, Fightful Select saying that there was nothing creative for Miro in his return to AEW. However, Dave Meltzer is saying that's not entirely true. Miro has been given ideas. He just shot them all down and they're in talks of some form of creative for his return. So Ralph, I'm not going to ask you whether or not you believe Fightful or Dave Meltzer. I just want to see if you have any ideas to get to get Merrill back on television. Well, I'm going to assume he's going to come back as a heel. Uh, I guess he probably performs better at that. Yep. Samoa Joe is already operating as a heel. He's the TNT champion. I think when you think of Miro, the thing that kind of defined his run in AEW so far has been him as the redeemer. I mean, there's a, so many different ways you can go with this. He's got to be put in there with somebody that has some sort of credibility. Mm -hmm. Now that can be Wardlow because, you know, I think Wardlow's another guy who it's kind of like on a weekly basis, every other week basis, I think they could both kind of dive into a feud against each other. Honestly, wouldn't mind seeing him against somebody like Darby Allen because Darby is the ultimate underdog. Their matches would be great. I mean, Darby could well, get thrown had that already. And... Darby and Merrill already had a thing and that's sure. how Merrill sure. won the title. He beat Darby and that's for fine. it. They, they, could, they could absolutely revisit it. You could mm -hmm. put him up against like Ricky Starks. There's so many ways they could do it. Moxley. Why not? Why not Moxley? So put him in there with somebody that has some sort of credibility. What about why don't you actually go through with the storyline that seemed like they were going to do? And that is Mero and the house of black. Let's bring that to fruition. Let's figure out a way to get that storyline going because you kind of have that heaven and hell dynamic where right, Mero is the redeemer and fights for God or whatever. And I know he was kind of having his own feud with God before his TV hiatus, but you also have the house of black. That kind of is this satanic type of cult that they have. So why not do a program with Aleister Black and Miro in this clash of deities, per se? You know, you talk about the TNT title. That seems like we got this thing with Wardlow and Samoa Joe. Fine. Why not have Miro have a program with Orange Cassidy where he dethrones Orange Cassidy as the All-Atlantic Championship, and then he does a similar run with the, with the that he had with the TNT Championship with the All-Atlantic Championship? You know, Orange Cassidy, give him credit where it's due. He's done a good job with the All-Atlantic Championship. And if he lost to Mero, it doesn't lose his stock whatsoever. And I think they would say he has had a decent reign with the All-Atlantic Championship, better than Pac and his, the first title reign with that title. And then you would, maybe you go, all right, I beat Orange Cassidy. I squash a few people with the All-Atlantic Championship. And then let have Pac go chase the title back. Even if they have nothing creative for Mero, just put them on TV and squash people. Why can't you just do that? I think today's wrestling is all about, we need to have these 20 minute matches that go through commercial breaks and make sure everything has this justified. This is awesome. Chant. No, let have, let's just have matches go in between commercial breaks. It starts at the end of one break and it, it ends before the start of another commercial break. Why can't we do that anymore? Why? Then you get, then you're not getting this freaking fatigue and maybe you might actually hold people for an entire show instead of this drastic layoff on both raw or SmackDown or, or dynamite or rampage where everything's got to go through a picture in picture. Everything's got to go through a commercial break. No, have a guy like Mero beat someone in five minutes. 
And then that's it. Go to commercial, yeah, go to the next match or segment. Yeah, and if they're going to do that and they truly intend to bring him back, I mean, a win over a credible name, like a five-minute squash over a Darby, over a Jungle Boy, and I know those are like some of the darlings and the, the pillars of AEW, but that's how you bring him back mm-hmm. and make a splash, right. and make a statement, and he can go and feud with some of the top-tier guys because it's, it's establishing his dominance. Right. You know, I, Kenny Omega, what's he going to do after this? That's the seventh thing. I, why not him? Well, if if they end up winning the trios titles, I'm sure they need to do something to defend those trios titles. Perhaps that's right. why they're building up House of Black to go and make that the first program for the elite winning the trios titles. I'd be down for that. But either way, they got to do something with Mero here. They really, really do. Uh, we got a question on our Babel section, Ralph, using the hashtag AskSCPB. And of course, if you have questions for us, you can send them on Twitter at SCPB Podcast, also Facebook and Instagram too, same handle. Or you can wait in our community page for those questions too. This one comes from Mex or Mex for Life, and he just wants us to grade AEW and WWE for 2022. I feel like neither of them are A's. I think both no, of them yep, had their, their blemishes. They've had some strong things, but there's definitely things they can work on on both sides, whether that's the the tail end of the McMahon era of WWE or the front side of Triple H's run as head of creative for WWE. You can look at blemishes on both sides. You can see good things from both sides. Mm-hmm. Tony Khan, I know everybody loves him. He probably is going to win Booker of the Year this year, but he's going to win it by default if he does because he has not had a good year booking. And a lot of people are starting to see his problems in booking. Honestly, if I were to grade both of them, I wouldn't give them any higher than a B. I was going to say AEW is probably a B minus. I would say WWE is probably around that same B minus B range. I think that both have done really good things. I think both have done some things that are questionable. With WWE, it's a really a tale of two different things. Like you said, small sample set with Triple H, the Vince McMahon stuff especially towards the tail end, was was pretty bad. I mean, the stuff that's obviously very good, Cody Rhodes debuting, Cody Rhodes matches, Seth Rollins reestablished, Triple H is reestablishing the, the mid-card, mm-hmm. uh, if you want to want to call it that, those, those mid-card to upper mid-card titles, keeping Lashley involved, uh, the bloodline, obviously amazing, great storytelling, Sami Zayn, amazing, great storytelling, Sheamus and the Brawling Brutes, I mean, SmackDown has obviously gotten much better. Drew McIntyre's been good. He's brought some guys back, some questionable returns. So I think I think WWE has had a pretty solid year. Most of the pay-per-views have delivered. Mm-hmm. There's been some great pay-per-views, matches, Clash at the Castle, Gunther's great. So some good stuff. Right. AEW has also had some really good stuff. Um, they've also had some questionable things. I think the thing with AEW is where Tony Khan, I think, slipped up a bit. I think he bit up more than he could chew with one, the build and kind of booking Forbidden Door, and not in the sense that it was bad or in the sense that nobody wanted to watch it, but you absolutely, without a doubt, put a lot of people on the back burner for the sake of promoting that pay-per-view. Mm-hmm. And many of the people that were on that pay-per-view, especially from New Japan Pro Wrestling, it was a build-up for a few weeks or however long leading to the Forbidden Door, and then they weren't on AEW television after. You know, I I think that to his credit, even though some people don't like the fact that Ring of Honor is so involved with AEW, and I think that's a fair criticism, utilizing Chris Jericho, I'm not the biggest fan of it, but I know it serves a purpose, you know? So I think they've both done really good things, and I think that we could point to things that we both dislike on on all of their shows. Mm -hmm. So I would say a B minus would be for both of them yeah i would agree i think what has been good for or what has been an issue with tony khan is trying to get ring of honor a tv deal and by doing that he's got to kind of put a lot of ring of honor on dynamite and i think that's kind of factored into the on-air programming trying to showcase all these different talents of ring of honor that maybe the whole audience doesn't necessarily know and they're not going to do their homework for it so don't just say google this person you can't do that. You can't assume people are just going to Google to get context. It's a television show. you got to provide context elsewhere. I also think there's been harsher criticism than there really needs to be sometimes. More in particular recently, the Hangman Page. Why is Hangman Page mad at John Moxley? The context is there, guys. It was there. 
And even when you got Lance Storm saying, I don't understand why they're mad at each other. All Moxley did was say two lines and you got the whole story. Well, for starters, they're competitors. Yes. They're competing in what we are pretending that is a a professional league or company. And their job is to kick the shit out of each other. Right. You don't necessarily need to have a deep rooted reason for guys. Some people, especially in the UFC, you'll see this a lot different backgrounds, different approaches to the sport of MMA, different uh, philosophies, and that's all you need. And they don't like each other. Mm -hmm. That it doesn't have to be some deep rooted, like conflict. It's just, Hey, Moxley presents himself as this. I present myself as this. We don't see eye to eye and we're going to fight about it. Right. But but there's more of a reason because hangman page, you know, feels like Moxley doesn't give him the respect he deserves because he called him kid. And, he gets the concussion during the world championship match. So now he's got even extra heat on Moxley. He's like, dude, you cost me this because you concussed me or whatever, even though it's a legit lariat, it's a legit move. So I understand that aspect of it, but there's a reason I'd be pissed off too. If someone concussed me and took me out of a championship match because of it, you know, it's like Roy Munson getting pissed at Ernie McCracken because (laughs) his hand got ripped off by the ball returner and Kingpin. It's the same damn thing. So you're telling me that it's bad, bad writing and bad storytelling that Roy Munson hated Ernie McCracken. No, it's, it's a legit reason. It's the same thing here, but back to what I was saying, ring of honor, the whole Jericho appreciation society versus Blackpool combat club. It's been nothing but 50, 50 booking, not really going anywhere. The wheels have just been turning for most of the year. I could say the same thing with Bianca Belair and damage control. The wheels have just been turning and turning and turning, and it's really gone nowhere. So they've had their ups, they've had their downs, but I think equally they've been at the same mark. If you want to give them a B minus, I'll give them a B, but I do want to point out something. Obviously something's been really good. And that is the Sami Zayn thing. The Sami Zayn situation. I mean, a lot of people love the storyline with Sami Zayn and the bloodline here, Ralph. We even had this conversation last week about whether or not it should be Sami Zayn that challenges Roman Reigns at WrestleMania and even dethrone Roman Reigns at WrestleMania. But I kind of had a thought of this last week after we were done recording. Sami Zayn, I think one of the reasons why people love him so much, obviously he's a great wrestler in ring, but he's a great character outside of matches and he's been hilarious with the Usi stuff or whatever. Now you have people saying he should be world champion, or at least in the conversation of world champion. But I feel like we've had this discussion before elsewhere where you have a comedy wrestler that's a good wrestler, well-loved by fans, and some even say he should be in the talks for world championship and even challenged for a world championship a couple years ago. And that's Orange Cassidy. Where's the difference between WWE Universe and Sami Zayn supporting him to this run against Roman Reigns versus the AEW fan that believes Orange Cassidy's in the conversation as a main eventer and a world champion at one point in AEW. Where's the difference? Because it's essentially the the same thing, I think, where a comedy wrestler who's good at wrestling that is over with their fan base want him to be a world champion. The characters themselves, you can absolutely draw comparisons and parallels and say they're very similar in the sense that you have two comedy guys, like you just said, that can both wrestle, both get positive receptions from the fans and cheered and everything else, and they both probably are going to play an underdog role in a majority of the matches um, that they're going to have. The difference, the biggest glaring difference to me is the story. Sami Zayn. Uh, is in a storyline where he's essentially trying to earn the trust a majority of the year and the respect and the good faith of the bloodline and impress Roman Reigns. Mm-hmm. He's essentially, you know, it, it, they built this up for a very long time. Most people probably didn't think, including myself, that Sami Zayn was going to be able to get himself over to the point where now we're automatically talking about his potential involvement in a championship match. Now, for me, and what I think, if they're going to go that route with Sami Zayn, and you know this because I said it last week, Sami Zayn, as you said, is a comedic wrestler. Nobody's going to buy him as a dominant champion. I mean, he doesn't have the look. He doesn't have the physique. Nobody's going to... You can't put Roman and him next to each other and convince a fan who's never watched wrestling that they're at the same level. Because one looks like 
a sports athlete and one guy looks like he's you'd find him at a, a belly up at a bar somewhere or something like that. He looks like an average guy. Yeah. So if you're going to do it, I said, look, there's going to have to be outside interference involving Kevin Owens. Again, they've already have that storyline kind of built into it. So there is a storyline that is leading into this. And if he wins, he has to lose the belt probably the next night or have a short title reign. It's very similar to like similar in the sense that remember when Christian won the title and I think he lost it like after a week to Randy Orton because mm-hmm. Christian at that time, WWE was very different. You had to be the bigger guy to be a champion and all that type of stuff. And it's different now, but that's where the difference is. If they're going to put Orange Cassidy in a storyline in a faction where all of a sudden like it makes sense. Because the story dictates it makes sense Mm -hmm. for him to dethrone a well-established champion. Like it just, I I can't put my finger on it. It's like, look, that's one of the things that you can point to and say, look, this is the climax of what has been a great storyline. Not just, okay, well, he's Orange Cassidy. He's beloved by the fans. He sells t-shirts. So naturally he should be the, he should be a a champion at some point. I don't agree with that. I think if they can build a storyline that is, equivalent to what they've done with the bloodline and he's involved in a faction along with a strong champion and it makes sense for him to dethrone that champion i would be all for it but i don't think he should have this long drawn out championship reign and present himself as a dominant champion and i think that i have the same feelings for Sami Zayn. so say orange cassidy gets another shot at the world championship we know he had it before against Pack and Kenny Omega at double or nothing a couple years back. And we know he almost won the match, but thanks to Don Callis, he lo- he was interfered with and Kenny Omega ended up winning the match, right? Suppose yep. they revisit that and Kenny Omega gets the title back down the line somewhere, whether it's dethroning MJF or MJF drops it to, to Hangman Page per se. They revisit Omega versus Page and Omega beats Page this time around. Then we revisit Orange Cassidy versus Kenny Omega. And the storyline is there. Like Orange Cassidy had Kenny beat. He had Kenny beat. And that's the story that you have going into the the championship match. And Orange Cassidy beats Kenny Omega. Would you be okay with that? If you asked me this question about Sami Zayn a year ago, I would have told you no. Yeah. I, I need to see the story. It needs to be real time because this happens so many times in pro wrestling where it's like, a lot of times we don't foresee somebody getting over. We didn't see we didn't see Brian Danielson or Daniel Bryan at the time being the guy that was going to lead a yes movement. We didn't foresee Kofi Mania. We didn't see Sami Zayn getting over to this level. And maybe at some point we won't see Orange Cassidy being the guy that makes sense. If you're asking me right me right now to say, okay, well, imagine if this happened, I would say no because I need to see I need to have my finger on the pulse and say okay well yeah it absolutely makes sense if Orange Cassidy is super over and the storyline makes sense for him to somehow get a cheap victory a surprise victory a fluke victory over a champion that he wouldn't beat 9 times out of 10 and he carries that title for maybe a week and loses it I'd be okay with it but it has to make sense storyline wise mm-hmm. um you know, this happens all of the time in pro sports. I think sometimes we forget that it does happen many times in boxing, UFC, whatever. You have guys that are ranked higher, like nobody's supposed to have a chance. One of the biggest upsets was Matt Sarah coming back from essentially retirement, fighting George St. Pierre, who's one of the best ever, and knocking him out. It does happen. Right. It's the same Even thing Buster that we Douglas saw- knocking out exactly. Tyson. And Logan Paul. I mean, look at the storyline with Logan Paul. And, you know, it's essentially the same thing. You're going to get people that are going to hate on that. Oh, well, Logan Paul, the one lucky punch, he shouldn't be having this. Yeah, I I get it. And I don't know if it should have been as competitive as it should have been, but it was. And to pretend that those things don't happen in real life, it's disingenuous. Mm -hmm. Do I think Orange Cassidy is a dominant champion? Do I think he's somebody that can main event and carry titles and, you know, carry a title for six months to a year? No. I don't see him as that. I see him as exactly well, he's hold, what he he's is. Held he's held the Atlantic Championship for at least three months now, I think. Heavyweight Championship. Heavyweight, heavyweight Championship. That's a different argument, but yes. as a champion, they kind of are testing it right now with the Atlantic Championship, maybe. Correct. It's a mid-card title. So I said that from the beginning. Like That's a decent title for him. He could do his thing. He can have his matches. He's a good wrestler. That's fine. But some people say, just based on his character right now as it presents himself, 
he's a main eventer and he should be a champion someday. Based on this, if you took Sami Zayn out of the bloodline and let's go back to when he was competing against Johnny Knoxville, if we had the same conversation at WrestleMania time last year and you said, hey, should Sami Zayn be the guy to dethrone Roman Reigns? <laughs> Nobody's going to say yes. A but lot of people story, were saying he was buried because he lost to Johnny Knoxville. And we were the only ones that said, hey, two guys that lost coming out of WrestleMania, Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn, proved more than almost anybody else. Mm-hmm. We were the only ones that, well, maybe not the only ones, but one of the few, maybe the, we were in, in, the, in the minority. We were in the minority in that, saying yes. that they actually benefited from their losses because they came out of that in a higher stock than they were yes. going into WrestleMania, even though they lost to a retired Stone Cold Steve Austin and Johnny Knoxville. Yes. And, and what you have here is real life examples of why the story, and we talk about this all the time, and the characters and the personalities is more important than the work rate. Many, 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 many times. Mm-hmm. You can have these dream matches and it's good for one night and it's good for the one-offs and it's good for the fans that are really entrenched in all of like right. everything. But the story can help set somebody up for that next step. Mm-hmm. That's what essentially has gotten Sami Zayn to the point where now people maybe consider him to be the guy that can, can dethrone Roman. Some people would still say no. Right. So if the storyline dictates that Orange Cassidy should win a title, as long as it's in some weird fashion, I would be okay with it. It has and, to and make sense. Same thing. Yes, the storyline has to make it make, has to let me believe it has to, has to be, yeah, it has to make sense. Right. Yeah, the storyline has to dictate it. And that's all, that's all we're asking for. Something to make sense. Again, it is a television show. Pro wrestling is a form of sports entertainment. Regardless if you want to disagree with that, try to define pro wrestling without it making it sound like sports entertainment. And all you're probably going to do is just say the things you hate about sports entertainment and say that's not pro wrestling, but it's all a form of sports entertainment. Nonetheless, I really want to get the babble sections, you know, ideas on this. How would you get Orange Cassidy to the world championship? How would you get Sami Zayn to the undisputed WWE Universal Championship? How do you build those stories? I'd love to see some of the fantasy booking in the Babble section. Let us know in the comment section. Let us know by tweeting us at SCPB Podcast, sending us direct messages on Instagram and Facebook, or sending us an email at scpbpodcast at gmail.com. I want to hear your thoughts. I want to see what you guys got. Don't forget to share us all over social media. Don't forget to subscribe and we'll see you on the next episode of the Squared Circle Psycho Babble.